Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Up All Night and Are You Afraid of the Dark podcast. My name is Cortland, and with me today is the guy that's squirting penicillin all over the house. It's Brandon. How you doing, Brandon? Hey, Cortland. God, you were wasting it. Take wasting it. that penicillin. I've got so much. I need to get rid of it. You are the worst nurse. That should be like a little book series. The worst nurse. Kind of like Amelia Bedelia, except it's a nurse. Can you imagine? Um, That would be a nightmare. I know, um, right? <laughs> every book ends in death. <laughs> so how are you doing this week, Brandon? I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. That's awesome. Did you do anything sweet recently? No. Yeah, I didn't really do anything cool either. I can't think Man. of a single thing. Wow, this is like the first week where we I haven't know, had we're, anything cool. We're always so interesting. Actually, I do have one. My son started karate the other week. Boring. No, that's cool. He's like, Hop Joel. I'm like, oh my god, no. <laughs> He's not really. Hop Joel's not a thing. <laughs> no, it really isn't. And if it was, you'd have to say, hey, that's Taekwondo. Stop it. Well, so he's a white belt now, and he keeps asking me, he's like, Dad, is it hard to be a white belt? And I, um, <laughs> I have to be like, no, it's not, <laughs> because it's really not, and I don't want to lie to him. <laughs> I've never been a white belt. I was a white belt. I mean, Were you? Yeah. Whoa. So... Like, okay, he's six years old, so he goes to his karate class, and, like, he does a little couple of the moves, and then they give him his white belt. And, um, like, he got it before he even signed up for karate. <laughs> so, I had to be like, yeah, it's pretty easy, son. Wow, they're just <laughs> throwing those things out there. It's like penicillin in a hospital. <laughs> yeah, right. There's white belts all over the floor. <laughs> just squirting white belts everywhere. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, like... There was a, an event where you could go in and he could try it out, and then that's where they gave him the white belt. So it's to lure you in with a false sense of white belt security. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they give you the white belt. Like, that's it. You gotta go. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then after that, you get, you know, yellow, and then you get orange, and blah, blah, blah. So he really wants the orange belt because it's his favorite color. And then he's just gonna stop, learn no more punches. Yeah, he'd <laughs> be like, I'm good. This is nice. <laughs> I know three kicks. I'm, that's it. <laughs> it's pretty fun though i'm glad that uh it's opened up so that he can do something because yeah you know he likes it so anyway life is awesome how's it going over there it's going pretty good it's a mild summer i'm digging it i'm really glad to hear that i was so worried that you were gonna melt same running into good spider webs lately brandon <sighs> just so many i don't understand how they build them so fast like i it's... understand that they're giant but come on Last Friday, when I was walking to work, I had walked through three spider webs before I left my property. <laughs> wow. That's not an do exaggeration. Even, do you even have, like, trees in your yard or anything? I've got a few. Okay. Do they just, like, make a hammock between them or something? Uh, they're, they're, like, freestanding. <laughs> they're just not attached to anything. They're like the fucking okay. candles in Harry Potter. They're just spider webs there. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's how I envisioned it, but like I didn't know. Okay, just like from the clouds or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brandon, we just got done watching uh, some Are You Afraid of the Dark. You want to talk about it? Are you ready? Yeah, I'm pretty excited to talk about this one. Awesome. Yeah, we just started part one of the Tale of the Silver Sight. We're on the final three episodes of season seven, and as you can imagine, they're all going to be linked together until one, you know, like Are You Afraid of the Dark movie, essentially. 
What did you think of the Tale of the Silver Sight Part 1? It's definitely a Part 1. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, it's like 10 minutes before anything like really substantial happens. I mean, besides right. the so, stuff that happens that's substantial. Can't really complain about like the pacing or the action or lack of action or whatever, because, you know, it's Part 1. Yeah, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be watched altogether, but right. I and can't do that's that. That's very obvious when watching it. If we could do a three-hour mega episode, I would, but I physically cannot sit here for three hours and talk to you <laughs> no i can't try it, it before we've tried to talk and it just no yeah remember we had that work. talking contest it, it did not end well i had to move to australia <laughs> yeah. after we tried that so uh yeah we're gonna do it in three parts um i thought it was a good episode though i, I liked it i had uh, fun with it it's really nice to see the midnight society outside of just the campfire scene yep. really and i know that seems to be Definitely. like a complaint for people of the newer seasons that it's like oh i want them to sit by the campfire and tell spooky stories and yeah i get it but it's also fun it's fun this way too yeah it is i've always wanted to see more of the midnight society i want to see more of the midnight society but not at the expense of the stories so really they just all need to be twice as long yeah agreed so we got DJ McHale back as the writer for this episode, and it's pretty cool. Uh, they got Gary back, and, uh, you know, it's fun. I'm, re- I'm looking forward to talking about it. So you want to just dive in? Yeah, let's just do it. All right. Our episode begins, and we're walking up to the meeting spot with somebody, and the camera pans up, and it's Gary. It's Gary. Boom. Right away. He's an old-ass man now. <laughs> <laughs> he does look quite a bit older, though, I will say. He does. Yeah. Yeah, I... I feel like he didn't really age a whole lot during the original run of the show. I mean, he obviously people age. He did, but like he didn't show it. And now he's like 20 something. Yeah. He's it's an great. older Gary. It's Gary. You were right. He's back and he's, well, I wouldn't say he's better than ever. He's better than ever. Is what I'm trying, yeah. <laughs> he's as good as ever. <laughs> yeah. He looks over the meeting place and he's got, it's got all the new furniture and stuff. And there's a kid standing in front of the fire. And Gary calls out, Hey, how about letting an old-timer sit in tonight? And the kid just kind of bangs a stick around the fire. So Gary walks up saying, It's cool. I'm Tucker's brother. I used to run these meetings. And he walks up closer to this kid saying, It looks like you changed things up a bit when I was here. And the kid whips around, and his face is all creepy looking, his eyes are pure black, and his teeth are all sharp. Gary takes one look at that shit, and he books it the other way. We hear a phone ring, and an old man walks out from the woods saying, Gary, I need your help. And Gary's all, Gramps? And then Gary snaps awake in his bed, and he answers his phone saying, Hello? Hi, Grandma. No, it's okay. I was awake, sort of. What's up? And the camera kind of, like, zooms in closer to his face, then his eyes widen, and he says, No! Man, what a way to start an episode. Yeah, right? A dream Just sequence? Just right away, like, Here's Gary. Boom. Here's a zombie kid. Boom. Dead grandpa. <laughs> boom. All a dream. Boom. It was interesting. Um, So, th- I don't know. This kid, right? They, they just, his name is Wife Kid. And I don't know if I'm saying that right or what? not. W-A-I-F. Oh, Waif. Waif. Okay, like Wafer. I love Wafers. Wafer Kid. Waif Kid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, they they call him Waif Kid. I don't I don't know. I know that's like a you know street urchin kind of like ragamuffin. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't understand what that was when I read it, so I was just like, "Why is this? What?" I don't yeah. know. He's he's in like old timey clothes. He's got like a bowl cut. 
He kind of annoys the hell out of me. Honestly. Yeah, I don't like him. <laughs> Just gonna say that right now. I don't think we're supposed to like him, but I definitely don't like him. I don't like him. No, he's like a little trickster. He's a little like, shit. What he yeah, is. he's he's definitely shittish. <laughs> we cut over to a house, and it looks to be autumn. As there's, there's just a bunch of orange leaves and, and like leaves on the ground and stuff. It looks really nice. On the porch of this house is a crying Sheena Larkin. <laughs> oh, no. When up walks Gary, who says, hi. And Grandma looks up at him saying, oh, he was sitting here just yesterday watching the kids play ball in the street. Jean got such a kick out of that. Gary takes a seat next to her and holds her hand as she says, It's amazing how quickly things can change. Gary's all, But Gramps wasn't even sick. What What happened? And Grandma shakes her head saying that he came home upset about something. I've never seen him in such a state. He was angry and frightened. I tried to calm him down, but he was all wound up. And his heart wasn't strong enough to take it. And Gary asks what he was so upset about. But Grandma doesn't know and she says, but it had something to do with you. And the camera closes up on he Gary. He was angry about something you did, Gary. <laughs> In fact, his last scene. words were he said it was your fault and then he died. He was clutching his heart saying, Gary, fuck Gary, damn it. <sighs> Avenge me. <laughs> so anyway, it's Gary's fault that his grandpa's dead. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. I know. Poor Gary. So there's a couple of characters to meet. You want to meet them? Yeah. Okay. That little kid in Gary's dream. Well, first of all, we got Ross Hall back as Gary, I should say. Okay? Who's he? Never. I don't know. Him. Who knows? <laughs> Probably. He's got a very interesting. If you're ever interested, uh, Ross Hall has an awesome Instagram where he posts pictures of his dogs all the time. And his dogs are fucking adorable. I like dogs. Yeah, it's great. He's got, I think they're like big huskies or um, I don't know. They're big fluffy dogs. Super cute. He goes on, like, hikes and stuff with him all the time. And Gary is buff as fuck, and he is a uh, a meteorologist. Pretty awesome. Cool. Follow him. That's what this is. Follow him on Instagram. <laughs> um, there's that little kid in Gary's dream. He's called the Waif Kid. And he's played by Ryan Cooley, whose biggest roles were in Degrassi, where he played J.T. York, if anybody's ever watched Degrassi. I have not. No, never. He also played in a show called, oh no, it's an alien invasion. <laughs> Is that the full title? Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Grandpa Gene, because he was in the episode for a second. He was all like, Gary, oh, you fucking killed me. Oh, he's he'll played be by, back. He's, yeah, he'll be back. I'm sure. He, he was played by Bob McDevitt, and that's actually his only acting role, Um, is the tale of the soul. Really? Side. Yeah. Wow. And then Gary killed him for real. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what happened. And finally, for now, we have Sheena Larkin. She's back as Grandma Aggie. And I just got to say, Brandon, this is this is Gary and Tucker's grandma, right? Yes. So can you imagine in the third episode <laughs> when David was like, I got this story about a lonely ghost. And I, one of my characters is based off of your grandma. <laughs> She's the sloppy. That's the first <laughs> thing I thought of. <laughs> I just thought, thought how funny it is. Like, all these people were telling stories, like, and there's this old hag in the woods, and it looks just like Gary's grandma. <laughs> yes, yeah. Sam didn't even know her. She's like, I got this old bitch. 
looks just like Gary's grandma. <laughs> you can do it like I bet you that she pops up in the story and everybody's just like sitting around laughing at Gary and Tucker when she pops up. <laughs> like it's a running joke. <laughs> oh man, that's the best part. Yeah. She's this it's old great. sloppy haggish woman and she's she ran away from her daughter and she died, Gary. It's your grandma. <laughs> just like your grandma. <laughs> That's my favorite like thing to think of. Hey, they ba- they base their stories on real life. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they they kill birds and it gives them an idea, or they get their bike stolen and it gives them an idea. Sometimes Gary's grandma kills somebody. <laughs> Multiple times, Gary's grandma just keeps reoccurring. <laughs> Gary's grandma is a monster. That's all we're gonna say. <laughs> okay, that's it for now. Let's get back to the episode. So we're inside Grandma's house, and Gary's looking at a picture of his grandma and grandpa when we hear a door open up, and Grandma walks into frame saying that he was desperate to tell you something. Your grandfather, Gene, was a wonderful man. He loved to tell stories and laugh at silly things. He wasn't often serious, but when he was, I always listened. And he was very serious about making sure that you got this. And she reaches into a binder or something and hands Gary a letter. He opens it up, and there's a broken piece of a record in it. On the record is the words, listen to the music, written on it. Grandma hands him another paper saying that he wrote this to go along with it. And Gary starts reading that letter when in walks Tucker saying, Grandma, I came as soon as I heard. And Grandma gets up and gives Tucker a hug saying that she's glad he's here. And we see Gary still reading that letter and Tucker says that he doesn't know what to say. But Grandma tells him it's alright and she knows how he feels. Over with Gary, he says, it's my dream. And Tucker asks, what dream? Gary stands up saying, Grandma, I need some time to figure this out. I'll be back later. And he gives her a smooch, and he tells Tucker to come on. So she asks his grandma if uh, she needs anything, and she says, nah, but call me later. Tucker tells her, okay, and leaves the house with Gary. Where are the parents? I kind of wondered the same thing. I don't know. Like, someone's father just died, and no one cares. She doesn't even bother to tell them. She's like, oh, quick, call Gary. (laughs) Gary's got to know. Gary needs to know, even though he already did, because he's fucking magic. And because he killed him. Oh, yeah, that part. Yep. Um, I kind of wondered the same thing, but I didn't wonder on it too much, because, like, I don't know. It doesn't matter that much. It would be nice to to see. It would have been really cool if uh, Gary's dad was Sardo, though, you know? That would have been funny. That would have been wild for all sorts of reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing that I find interesting is that Tucker, for these last two seasons, has seemed like so much more mature and like grown up compared to the earlier seasons where he's such a little kid. But yeah. now that Gary's back, like instantly, in comparison, he <laughs> seems like such a little baby again. I know. I thought the same thing. He he does the like more childish things, especially when he's re- it's like, all next relative. to Gary. Yeah, he doesn't have the power anymore, man. There's a a new supreme commander next to him, so he's just one of the peons again. Outside, the brothers are walking, and Tucker asks, "What's with the note?" And Gary ignores that question and asks if he's got a meeting planned tonight. And Tucker tells him, "Yeah, but he'll cancel it." But Gary tells him not to and says that he needs to be there. Tucker asks why, and Gary tells him that it has to do with this, and pulls out the record piece saying it might have something to do with why Grandpa Gene died, and he hands Tucker the record bit, and he walks away, and Tucker looks at it, sees the words, he pulls it away, and now we're at the campfire meeting spot. I like transitions. Very fun. 
We watched the entire gang walk down the trail, Quinn saying, So, your grandfather started the Midnight Society. Gary tells them, In 1937, he and four friends cleared the woods, made the fire ring, and built a storyteller's chair. Man, that's so much Midnight Society lore. Yeah, we get nothing and then boom. Silver nothing for happens. seven seasons and then it's like, alright, here's the entire history. Yeah. <laughs> Crammed into like three episodes, an hour and a half. Boom. Whole enchilada about the midnight society everything you ever wondered about the midnight society is contained in this story i didn't wonder but also like i i never really considered that there were like previous iterations of the midnight society i thought gary was just like i like telling scary stories and then someone else was like i do too all right just tell them (laughs) and then david's like i got this one about your grandma (laughs) (laughs) he's like hey yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, I never really wondered about the backstory of the Midnight Society. I didn't care when they started it or whatever. But uh, now that we have it, it's kind of fun. Yeah, sure. Tucker adds in that there's been a Midnight Society coming out here ever since. Except for that one break between 1996 and 1999. Hey, but ever whatever. since. There was a Midnight Society, we just didn't get to watch it. Ah, yeah, right. Andy's all, wow, that's a lot of stories. And Megan stands by them saying that she bets their gramps told great stories. And Tucker kind of nods and the kids all take their seats and Gary tells them, just before gramps died, he wrote down a story. And the kids all want to hear it and Gary pulls the note out of his pocket saying, His last. And it's the most amazing story the Midnight Society's ever going to hear. <laughs> I love that. I know, right? The balls How presumptuous. Yeah. Like, hey, see, it's the best story any of you nerds are ever going to hear. Looking at you, bird killer. (laughs) My bro tells me you told a story about a fortune cookie. The fuck out of here. Tucker's sitting back like, I kind of like that one about the pool zombie. And Gary's like, the most amazing story. (laughs) Gary tells them he began it over 60 years ago and it's still unfinished. And Quinn's all, not finished. Tucker tells them that he wants us to finish it. Gary's kind of circling around the kids saying, it's about five best friends who got this charm from a magic shop. Cut to Andy, who says, like the magic mansion. Gary says, yeah, sort of. They thought it was How a good luck piece. do you know about the magic mansion? I invented the magic mansion. <laughs> but they soon found out the only luck this charm had was bad luck. And Vance declares that this to be a great star and asks him to keep going. So Gary does. He says the charm was called the Silver Sight and it held a powerful kind of black magic. When they found out, The friends tried to get rid of it, but they didn't know how. And then horrible things started to go down, all because one of the friends, someone they thought they could trust, was using the evil magic of the charm. And Quinn looks around saying, a traitor in the group? Excellent. Gary continues saying, so one of the friends took the charm and hid it, and gave each of the others one clue that told where it was hidden. And he figures they'd have to put their clues together to find it, and working together was the only way they could destroy it. Vance says, cool, like a treasure hunt. What were the clues? Gary steps up closer to the gang saying that the guy made a voice recording. They didn't have cassettes or CDs back then, so he made a record. He broke it into five pieces. On each piece, he wrote down one clue, then gave a piece to each of his friends and kept one for himself. We cut to Andy who says, so to find out where the silver sight was, they had to put the record back together, get all the clues, and listen to it. Gary tells him, exactly. And Quinn's all, that's cool. Then what happens? And we cut over to Megan, who shakes her head, saying, What happens is, is this isn't a story, is it? And Quinn says, What? And there's some screechy music, and Tucker stands up, saying, Yeah, this is a story. A true story. And he hands Megan the record pieces. Vance says, No way! 
Andy asks Gary if this really happened, and he says, well, unfortunately, yeah. Megan asks Gary to tell them everything. So he looks around saying, all right, here it is. Five friends were the first Midnight Society. They never got back together, so the Silver Sight's been hidden all these years. Quinn's all, good, let it stay hidden. Gary continues saying, but yesterday, something scared Grandpa Gene so bad he had a heart attack, and it had to do with the Silver Sight thing. Andy asks if he means that it's come back, but Gary says he doesn't know, and this note is a plea for help. He gave it to me because he didn't think anyone else would believe him. And Gary stands up and hands the note to Andy, and Vange asks, what kind of help? Gary says, Gramps wants me to track down the old Midnight Society, get their clues, find the Silver Sight, and destroy it once and for all, like they should have done years ago. Quinn asks why he's telling them, and we cut over to Tucker who says, because we gotta move fast. Gramps was afraid someone else would find it first. Gary adds in that there's no one we could go to who would believe us except you guys. Vange asks, so what do you want us to do? With Gary, he says, I've got four names, the rest of the old Midnight Society. We split up, find them, and get their pieces of the record. That's it. Tucker and I will take it from there. Andy asks, what if we find the traitor? Gary's all, I don't know. Look, I won't blame you guys if you don't want to help. And you can hear this crash of thunder in the distance while the Midnight Society members kind of think this over. And Quinn stands up for St. Gary. We tell stories here. Made up stories. This is like real. Tucker stands up next saying, exactly. That's why we have to do something because it is real. With Megan, she asks Gary to tell them about the silver sight thing again. So he says, well, it's a charm. Probably a small thing, but it has some kind of power that can really hurt people. Quinn looks over at Tucker saying, oh man, I'm really not liking this. Megan asks Gary if his gramps was a good guy. And he not saying the best. Because, like, what else would you say, right? No. He was a real dick. He kind of sucked. He beat us. (laughs) They gotta find out why he died. Megan sighs. She stands up and she walks over to Gary saying, Okay, give me a name quick before I change my mind. And he hands her a name. And Quinn asks, Why don't we just find the guy who hid the thing in the first place? Which is a good good point. But Tucker tells him that he died the day after he hid it. (laughs) Like, that's a big red... That's a big red flag, don't you think? Just a coincidence, I'm sure. Quinn's all, oh man, this just keeps getting better. Andy stands up saying that he'll help, followed by Vange saying, me too, but not by myself. So Gary tells him, no problem, how about you two work together? And he hands them a name. Quinn again pipes up asking if he thinks this is a little out of bounds. Tucker tells him, it's alright Quinn, you don't have to help. But Quinn stands up saying, you know I'll help, because if things get nasty, you're going to need me. And he does this bro handshake with Gary, and it's really, it's really funny. They're just like, <laughs> uh, he gives Gary gives him a name and uh, says, "All right, Tucker and I will take care of the fourth name." Now remember, it's pieces of the record we need. That's where the clues are. We'll meet tomorrow in my dorm room for a status report. Okay? Tucker jumps up, saying, "All right, let's hit it." And Gary stops them saying, guys, I, uh, well, thanks for doing this. And they all, they all move to leave, but Andy stops Gary saying, you forgot something. And he asks, what? And Andy tells him, the story needs a title. So Gary's all, yeah. And he grabs a pouch of dust saying that he hasn't done this in a while. And then says, submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. I call this story. And he tosses in a fist of dust and the fire just dies out. And the kids kind of look around for a moment. Quinn's saying, that's kind of not normal. And Gary puts the pouch back, and they all walk away. And the kid from Gary's dream jumps into frame and laughs as the fire lights back up. 
And we get the title card, the, the tale of the silver sight. And then we get something we've never gotten before. A little chapter title. It's This one's called The General. I like that. Pretty cool, huh? So those kids came to the Midnight Society meeting to hear a story. And they got a chore instead. They did. But you know what? What a bummer. It's a fucking... it, yeah, but it's like a little treasure hunt. Treasure hunts are fun. They are fun. This is this is a very video gamey kind of setup. It is. I haven't played the Are You Afraid of the Dark computer <laughs> game, but this would be a great setup for that game. It's so it's I don't know. I'm sucker for this one on one time we're gonna get with the Midnight Society members. I think it's gonna be freaking sweet. Quinn, you go here and do this. Megan, you go over here, you do this, and I think I think we're gonna get to watch it all. I think they're gonna get to watch like their own segments. Yeah. I'm I'm imagining that we'll we'll get to see like here's what Megan was doing while Tucker yeah. was you know breakdancing or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like I mean we'll talk about it more in a minute, but yeah, I'm I think it's gonna be really intricate and interwoven. It's gonna be cool. Yeah, it's really cool. I imagine it was really cool for the actors too because like we see the Midnight Society like week after week, and it's like this big part of the episode. But I imagine. Like filming it was just kind of not well, very interesting. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not interesting is isn't the right word. But like you know, they just show up to this campfire set and you know do a few scenes and then that's it. They're like they're not a part of the story. Yeah, I think I don't know if it was when we talked to DJ McHale or if he it was uh, he said talked about it in another interview. But um, I think they filmed all of the campfire scenes like very quickly like within a day or like a week or something like that like they just they just got them all like banged out you know yeah so it's really cool to see that they get to shine and you know all the kids are they're not bad actors either like nobody no i don't i can't think of any lines that just like didn't come out right or anything they're all pretty decent yeah it was pretty fun Hey there, everybody. Cortland here, your good buddy and your returning Midnight Society leader. This is the first part of three in the season seven finale and original finale of the show. So whether you've been with us since the beginning, you found us sometime after, or this is your first episode, thank you so much for taking a listen. You all mean a lot to Brandon and I, and it's always amazing seeing how much you enjoy our content. Like last week, I'd like to start off by thanking our patrons, the Bronze Beth, Eddie, Mia, and Tristan, the Silver Goth, Shane, Stephen, Matt, and Geraldine. The Golden Day Days, Angela, Faith, and Sarah, and the Platinum Bostics, Bryce, Kathy, Evelyn, Kaylee, and Matt. Thank you for your support, everyone. Our show wouldn't be the same without you. Brandon is hard at work creating a work of art that includes all of our patrons commemorating our completion of Are You Afraid of the Dark? If you'd like to be part of the Up All Night family and be included in the artwork, become a patron for as low as $1 a month at patreon.com slash private island. We upload hours and hours of bonus content, early release episodes, movie reviews, true crime, bloopers, and more. Higher tiers get more rewards. I hope you check it out and consider becoming a patron. All proceeds go right back into our show to help us make the best podcast that we can make. Don't worry, we're going to be continuing up all night well after we've finished with Are You Afraid of the Dark? Looking for more laughs? Give us a follow on Twitter at PRVT Island and Private Island Presents on Instagram. We make tons of content every week that really enhances our show. From memes to GIFs to videos for each episode to watching full-length episodes live on Instagram. Check it out and enjoy. 
For a quick link to the Patreon, the Discord server, our Facebook group, and more, check out the Linktree link in the episode description. I'm going to be updating our merch store soon to include all of our season artwork, so stay tuned. This week we will be recording our Season 7 wrap-up and recap episode, and we really need your help. Let's make this the best Ask Us Anything episode that we can. Send us your questions. You can ask us whatever you'd like, and we'll answer them in the episode. You can send them to us through Twitter, Instagram, or email them to us at privateislandpresents at gmail.com. We have a few questions so far and would really love to have some more. I'd like to take a moment to thank the Benevolent Badger for his work on the music for our show, aside from this theme, Dating Start from Undertale, composed by Toby Fox. I'd also like to thank Brandon for his work on the artwork. That's all I've got for now. I'll let you get back to the show. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. So back in the story, we're with Gary and Tucker, and they're in the general. They're in black and white, right? And Tucker's looking into a camera, saying, "Hello, hello in there." Gary pulls him away, and he's like, "Don't be a goof." And we see that he's looking into the camera of a security system outside of a gate. Tucker's all, "What? We're on TV!" And we hear the click of a lock, and the gate opens up. So Gary and Tucker walk on through. And they go up a pathway, and Gary's telling Tucker to be cool because the guy inside is a war hero. <laughs> and they walk up they walk up on this mansion of a house with Tucker saying, Yeah, a rich war hero. What's his name? And Gary tells him, Lang Candle, the oldest member of the original Midnight Society. They walk up to the door, they push the doorbell a few times, and Tucker looks around after we hear a whoosh noise, and behind them is the kid from the campfire. Tucker goes to tell Gary to check this out, you know, check this little shit out. But when he looks back, the kid is gone, and Gary asks, What? And then the door opens up and the kids walk inside. In the house, we hear a man call out to step in, men. Don't be shy. And we look over at a familiar face in a wheelchair, Brandon. Who is it? We'll find out in a minute. He rolls up on the kids saying, yes, I can see your grandfather in both of you. Except for the slouch, of course. And the kids straighten up as Candle tells them that he's very sorry to hear about their grandpa's untimely demise, saying that he never thought Gene would go before him. And that it's a pity. Gary starts to talk, saying, Mr. Candle, but Candle tells him, General. Gary's all, excuse me? And the dude tells him, you call me General. So Gary's all, okay, General, you were part of the Midnight Society, right? And he kind of looks at the kid saying, Midnight Society? I haven't thought about that team for quite some time. This way. And he wheels over, and Tucker gives a sarcastic salute, and Gary hits him, and the kids follow the General. Did you immediately recognize this man? No. You did I recognized think? that he was recognizable. Yeah, okay. All right, I was in the same same boat here. I thought you would recognize him. It's fucking Shandu. Oh. Yeah. I love I love Shandu. Well, you apparently don't love him as much as you thought. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I pretend to love him. I mean, it's been like a good number of years, but it, I mean, he still looks the same. But yeah, it's Shandu. It's Shandu from the Tale of the Magician's Assistant. His name's James Bradford. And he plays General Lang Candle. This guy's been in a lot of other things, including Happy Birthday Bunnykins, Space Cases, and The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. (laughs) I picked out the cream of the crop for him. All the hits. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it's Shandu. Fucking Shandu. In another room, Candle says that that was an exceptional group, every last one of them. And the camera stops on a black and white photo of the old Midnight Society that he has in his room. So when he said, I haven't thought about that group in, you know, forever or whatever. I'm like, dude, you have a fucking picture of him yeah. on display. I wasn't in, like, your buying favorite it right room. away. Such an asshole. 
And Candle picks up that picture and he's saying that this is how I like to remember them. And he sighs. He hands the picture to Tucker and says, take it. I have another. But I don't like to remember them. And I haven't remembered them for ages. Yeah, I actively tried not to remember them. But yet I look at this picture all the fucking time. And like he hands Tucker the picture, tells him to take it because he has another. This guy's shady. He is. Tucker thinks that shit is cool. And the general yells, slouching again? And Gary straightens up saying, we're, uh, we're here because, uh, and the general yells, speak up, son. If you have anything worth saying, say it. So Gary says it. We're here about the silver sight. And that, like, kind of shocks the general's heart, and he gasps. No, he looks like he's about to shit his pants. He looks like he got shot. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you think every time you look at the picture of the Midnight Society, you would think about the silver sight, though? Yes, that is the defining, (laughs) like, thing in their entire lives. This guy's shady. Super shady. The kids look at each other, and then Candle asks, Why in the name of Sam Houston are you asking about that? Gary tells him it was Gramps' last request. He wants them to find it and destroy it. Tucker asks, you know what it is, right? Candle's all, the question is, do you know what it is? And Tucker looks at Gary for a second before saying, sorta, it's like this little evil charm thing. General tells him, it's the devil's own tool. Go home and forget you ever heard about it. Gary tells him that they can't because Grandpa Gene. But Candle interrupts yelling, have you got his piece of the record? Tucker kind of fumbles his words, and Gary says that they're tracking down all the pieces and would love to have his piece if they could. The general looks around for a moment, and then he turns around slowly and says, Peace, general. I always thought something like this would happen. Part of me wanted to pass on before I had to face this particular demon again. I have to dig it out of storage. Come back in a few hours. I'll have it for you then. That's shady. Gary says, thank you. Yes. And, And the guys start walking out of the room. But Candle says, I hope you know what you've gotten yourselves into. No one who has touched the silver sight has emerged undamaged. And the kids kind of look at each other and then they leave. Why wouldn't they just help him get the stuff out of storage considering he's wheelchair bound? That's what I thought. But being shady and all. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely shady. and it's... Is it trying to sh- make him out to be the traitor? Like, right away? Is that what they're trying to do? I don't know if they're trying to do it. Or if they're just not being as subtle as they think they are. Yeah, I couldn't tell either. But also, I hope I really hope it's their grandpa who is the traitor. <laughs> <laughs> that that's my big wish for this whole thing. That would be so funny. Now I want to wish that Grandpa Gene's the traitor. That's why he was <laughs> never allowed to act again. <laughs> Nobody could trust him. <laughs> Outside, Gary and Tucker are walking to the gate, and Tucker says, "Generally speaking, I think the general is a little whacked." Gary tells him that it doesn't matter as long as they get his piece of the record. Super true. Gary walks through the gate followed by Tucker, who turns around and we see that kid standing there again. Oh my god, I'm sick of this kid already. They stare at each other until the kid just runs away. (laughs) Yeah, that kid kind of sucks, not gonna lie. Now we're back at Grandma's house, and she's sitting in a chair smiling at a piece of paper or something. And the front door jiggles, and then it opens with a gloved hand. And Grandma calls out, Gary? Tucker? And the person closes the door, and Grandma gets up, and she looks around for a moment and then heads to the door and locks it. And she backs up and sees the figure, who at this moment is the first person of the camera. And she gasps, asking, Who are you? What are you doing in my house? My grandson will be back here any second. And then she busts into this full run up the stairs, screaming. And she throws her laundry down the stairs, even though the person hasn't reached the stairs yet, and then runs up further. She gets in their room, and she slams the door in the person's face. This poor woman. I know, right? 
Her husband dies. She's sitting having a moment to herself, smiling for, you know, once in the past couple of days. And then her house gets fucking broken into. Her son or daughter refuses to visit her or talk to her. Yeah. Super sad. Just very lamentable situation all around. At least she lives like five seconds from Gary's dorm, right? Yeah. Pretty great. We cut to Gary's college and inside the dorm room, uh, Van just sitting at the computer. She says, oh, P.U., what smells? And we look over at Megan, who's looking in a mirror, and she says, all right, all right, I'm guilty. She looks at Gary and says, you said this was going to be a dangerous mission, not a dirty one. And he smiles at her saying, well, at least you're getting closer to a piece of the record. She sighs and she walks away and she sits next to Andy, who complains that she stinks. He gets up, he moves away from her, and she starts spritzing some perfume on herself. Tucker gets up saying, hey, check this out, Midnight Society, 1937, and he passes around the picture he got from Candle, and Megan's all, wow. Tucker, like, wafts her stink away, and she gets pissed, and she gets up and she walks away. Gary walks up to Vange and Andy asking how they did, and Andy's all, not good. We went to the library and online, we've called everywhere, but we can't seem to find any record of Bruce McCorrell. Or McGorrell, I don't know which one he said. Gary nods his head saying, well, there's got to be some trace somewhere. Keep looking, all right? And the phone rings. Gary answers it saying, hello? And we cut over to Grandma cowering with the phone saying, Gary, there's someone in the house. And we cut to the person throwing all of her shit all over the cupboards. He's just ripping her laundry around for no real reason. Call the police. No, <laughs> she's going to call her grandson. <laughs> and Grandma's all, I'm afraid he's... Hello? Hello? And the person starts pounding at her door, and we cut back over to Gary yelling, Grandma? What? Hello? Tucker asks what's going on, and Gary tells him, Come on. And Vange looks concerned for a moment, and then we cut. What kind of an accent does the does Sheena Larkin have for this grandma? Because it's not quite, it's not quite, like, English, and I just, I can't really, I don't know where it's from. I think she's trying to suppress an accent. So that's is that why what it, it is? sounds odd. Okay, okay. She's trying to sound naturally Canadian, uh, but she's from like Ireland or something. Okay, all right, that makes sense. Because I'm, I'm like, it's, it's something, but I don't know what it is. Okay, that makes sense. Now we're back at Grandma's house, and Gary and Tucker are running up to it. They get inside and start calling for her. Inside, she slowly opens up the door to her room, and she calls out, "Boys!" And they race upstairs, and we see that she's starting to put her crap away. You know, that the person threw all over her house. And Tucker asks if she's okay. And she's all, yeah, I'm fine. Someone broke into the house. I locked myself in the bedroom and they destroyed my home. Gary asks if she saw them. And she's all, yeah, but I was so frightened. And he was wearing a mask. Tucker asks what he wanted. And Grandma says, it was horrible. He kept pounding at the door and she she thought he was going to break it down. And he kept yelling that he wanted Jean's piece of the record. They're now back downstairs and Grandma sees the full devastation of the break-in saying, oh my... Tucker stops Gary saying, uh-oh, this has just got a lot more serious. Gary tells him that he's going to call the police and stay here with Grandma. And Tucker needs to go back and get that thing they were after. Tucker's all, yeah, yeah, sure. And Gary tells him to get get getting. So he does. And we stay with Grandma and Gary for a second. And he says, hey, Grandma. And she looks at him and yells, what's so important about a broken piece of record? And Gary sighs and walks up to Grandma, handing her the note from his grandpa saying, I think you should read this. It's Grandpa Jean's last story. Oh man, this this episode has a lot of talking. A lot it of really talking. does. And you know, I usually complain about that, but it wasn't so bad this time, and I think it's just because uh, I was invested more than usual, I'd say. I mean, we've like, 
we've either seen Gary or Tucker every single week almost for the past two years, so yeah, I'm kind of invested. We cut over to Tucker fucking around with that security camera again, and he yells, It's me! I mean, I've, I've come for the record, General! And he goes and tries the gate, and it opens up, so he just runs right through and up to the house. He knocks on the door, and he tries it, but it's locked, and the camera pans back a little, and we see that boy is behind him again. God damn it! And he says, let me try. And Tucker looks at the little shit as he steps up the steps, and the kid's all, sure you want to go in? Tucker tells him, yeah, he's expecting me. So the kid says, okay, don't say I didn't warn you. Tucker tells him not to bother that it's locked, but the kid walks up. And he opens up the door, no problem, and runs inside. Tucker calls after him, Hey, who are you? And he steps inside, but the kid is gone. We're kind of almost done at this point, I gotta say. Yeah, not too much there's left. not that much more left. And, like, nothing's happened, but a lot has happened at the same time. It's a lot of exposition in the first episode, so I'm thinking maybe the next two episodes are gonna be more action. Probably the second episode for sure. So Tucker takes a few steps inside, calling out, Hello? General? Hello? And he walks into Candle's room of, like, valuable antiques? I'm not sure. There's a bunch of, like, statues of dudes in medieval armor sets. Like, he's a rich collector. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of that old man from the Tale of the Water Demons. He just has a lot of cool stuff on display. Yeah, he's a military man, so he's got a lot of, you know, these are warriors from different ages. Yeah, exactly. Tucker knocks over one of the displays while he's saying, this is getting creepy, when all of a sudden in walks Quinn. Because we haven't seen Quinn. He wasn't at the dorm. No. And things got nasty because Megan smelled like (laughs) shit and he wasn't there. That's so true. What the fuck, Quinn? This part's pretty good. The two say, hey, what are you doing doing here? I came to get the... Well, you're supposed to... And they sigh and Quinn looks around the room saying, I'm looking for... And we look at this pencil drawing of a woman in a picture frame, and Quinn says, That! And he grabs a picture smiling and asks Tucker if this is her, Donna Tilton, using the old Midnight Society photo as reference. Tucker says, Yeah, looks like her. And Quinn's all, Excellent! And he starts to run away, but Tucker tells him, Hey, you can't just take that. But Quinn tells him, Yeah, I can. It doesn't belong to him. I'll tell you later. And he opens up the door, and he's gone. And I thought that was pretty cool. It, this, at this point, I was like, Okay. This is how this story's gonna go. We're gonna get this interwoven story. Like, next episode, we're gonna see them... We're gonna see Quinn, like, run up to Tucker in this moment. And we're gonna see this moment again played out. But it'll be... We'll follow Quinn out the door instead of staying with Tucker. And I was like, holy shit, this is gonna be fucking awesome. Yeah. If they pull it off, it'll be really cool. I am such a sucker for this shit. I don't know what, what other story has done this. Like, I know there has been, but I'm just like... It's so interesting. I love it. From behind Tucker, that kid appears again, saying, I know why you're here. You shouldn't be playing the way you're playing. Tucker asks what he means, and the kid tells him that he isn't good enough. Tucker asks, for what? And the kid ducks and disappears, and he reappears to Tucker's side on a shelf, saying, to handle the power. And he drops down and appears to Tucker's side again, yelling, hey, but if you still want to try, what you're looking for is right in here. Tucker asks, what's in there? The silver sight? And the kid laughs. He opens the door and says, see for yourself. And he walks through the door and Tucker follows. Is this kid the devil? I think he's the devil, yeah. That would be pretty cool. Actually, he's just a waif. He's just a wafer oh. kid. No big deal. Okay, well that's less cool. Nah, I think that this kid is the silver sight or like the evil behind the silver sight or something. He's clearly magical. 
you know, he appears everywhere. He's got a bowl cut. You know that means business. <laughs> Tucker walks into the next room and it has like this red carpet and it is lined with suits of armor, all holding different weapons and they're from different time periods. There's like a medieval suit of armor, uh, like a samurai looking one. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm hoping that you're going to be better at describing these armors than I am in terms of like time period. So let's see what happens. I won't, but. All right. He looks down this hall and on display is half of a broken record. Like, the general got half of this fucking record. <laughs> yeah. It's weird that he'd display it that way. It's something important to him, so he wouldn't just shove it in a, you know, a dresser drawer or something. But, like, to have it displayed like a museum piece, like, here's a piece of a broken record. Like, that's a bit odd. Yeah. Because, I mean, this room is very, like... There's a ton of suits of armor, and they all look very expensive. And uh, for a guy that's like, oh, I haven't thought about the Midnight Society, and then he's got a fucking shrine to them, I don't get it. Yeah. Like, he is up to no good, I think. Also, I just really think it's funny that he got half of the fucking record. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, they broke it into five halves, okay? (laughs) Somebody has, like, a baby sliver of this record. (laughs) Tucker sees that he sees that record and he says the record and starts slowly walking past these suits of armor from behind him and outside the room. We hear the echo of that kid laugh, which stops Tucker for a moment. He walks up to one of the suits of armor and looks under its visor, but it's empty. So he walks away and the armor turns to look at him. Of course it does. Yeah. I mean, what else could it be? Suits of armors love to look at you when you're not looking. Yeah, that's what they do. That's like their main thing. <laughs> Tucker walks up to another suit of armor and turns around to check out another one and we hear the kid call out you better turn around so Tucker does and a Shakespearean looking dude which is another suit of armor attacks him with a dagger he avoids that and we see the full suit of armor move from its pedestal Tucker grabs a shield from nearby and starts blocking the suit's sword attacks to some funky fresh beats gotta say Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's my favorite part of this episode because it's so fucking weird. It's just, it's like, (laughs) Like, I, like, I saw it coming, like, obviously, like, these suits of armor were going to come alive and attack him or whatever. But then this, like, weird generic hip hop starts playing. And I was like, what? Why this? I'm not sure, man. Such an odd choice. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm way into it. It was pretty dope, not gonna lie. And it was 2000, so I don't know. It's fucking incredible. <laughs> <laughs> After a few blocked attacks from the suit of armor, it falls over. And Tucker looks at it for a moment when another suit of armor starts swinging his sword at him. He blocks and he dodges a few more attacks. Then he grabs a sword and he starts fucking hacking this piece of armor. Like he fuck he starts hacking pieces off of this armor and it finally yeah, decapitates it. He is now I know where he got all those kung fu moves from laser maids. He's fucking training up a storm. Hacking and slashing these valuable pieces of armor. We look at the visor and there's a human skull in it. Which is odd. Right. Tucker runs away as that first like Shakespearean dude gets up, and now there's a fucking samurai armor attacking him. He runs to the door, but it closes and locks on him. And the Shakespearean armor throws a javelin at him that sticks in the door right next to his chest. Is that right, though? It looks Shakespearean. You know, it's got, like, the frills. Yeah. I've never seen that kind of an armor before. Is it just supposed to be, like, 
European style medieval armor? I'm gonna say it's Spanish. Spanish. Okay. Conquistador. All right. That that makes sense. A suit of armor and a gas mask turns and looks at him. That's a World War One soldier. Okay, I'm an idiot. A World War armor, like gas mask wielding suit of armor, turns and looks at him as Tucker gets the javelin out of the door. He rushes after the armors when the gas mask one jumps off the pedestal and tries to attack him. I think he's got a spear or something. I I thought maybe it was an axe. I'm not sure. But Tucker quickly dispatches that loser. He, like, (laughs) smacks him in the head and just bops him on it and he's dead. Uh, What an idiot. But his javelin gets ripped out of his hands by a chain from the samurai. And the samurai starts, like, twirling that chain around some more. And Tucker, like, avoids it. And it twirls around the neck of the, sh- like the neck and head of the Shakespeare armor, or the conquistador, whatever. Tucker then throws a, a finishing net over a fishing net over both of them, and he starts panting because I guess that that beat him. But from behind him walks the biggest set of armor yet, and it looks like it's um Mongolian maybe, like Kangaskhan kind of armor, right? Yeah, it's got like this bone club in its hands and tucker yells "Uh uh-oh and he runs to the piece of the record he grabs it and stops and he looks back and all the armors are back in place as if nothing had happened odd yeah that was so much choreography for an are you afraid of the dark episode i think it's probably the most oh definitely i'm not gonna lie i thought it was pretty fun pretty cool well yeah I like how they mixed it up and that all the armor sets were different it wasn't just the same generic you know, full metal medieval style armor. It was right. it was like the samurai, and it was fucking Genghis Khan with his Bubba Clubba, and it was a whole damn season of Deadliest Warrior, yes. all converging on Tucker at once. And Tucker fucking fishing netted his javelin, smacked his way through it. He looks at the record, and it reads, "Not all the eyes are brown." He looks up again at the record, and then we cut to the outside of the house, and Tucker runs out the front door. He walks down the steps and out pops a kid from the house yelling, I warned you. Tucker stops, he looks at him, and then he says, It only gets worse from here. Tucker runs the fuck out of there, and we see the door to the mansion close on its own, and then the words to be continued flashes on the screen. Yeah, that's it. That's the end of the episode. Well, there's not much more to say about the episode, really. No, I've said it all. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I hope Grandpa's the traitor. Uh... <laughs> It will be cool to see what the other characters were doing at this. Why Megan's so stinky. Why Quinn is stealing photos. Yeah. And um, whatever the fuck Andy and Vange are doing. Going to a library. Like, that episode's yeah. gonna suck. But... It's really it's going to be super exciting watching them try to use the internet. <laughs> yeah. Alta Vista's not loading. <laughs> Ask Jeeves. He doesn't have the answers. <laughs> No, nah, I'm looking forward to it. I think I think part two is going to be really good. I, um, and I think part one was pretty good too. Uh, lots of build up, and that's okay. And then the action scene with Tucker was pretty great. Yeah, that's kind and of all Gary. that happened. Oh yeah, Gary, <laughs> that that guy, he's back. Yeah, it was great to see Gary. It was. Yeah, it would have been. I mean, okay, I'm not going to lament over the fact that we didn't get Betty Ann and Sam. And I will. You know, okay, do it. <laughs> It sucks that we didn't see all the others. It would be it'd be great to see everybody out and about in the world, not just trapped in their, you know, wood set. Yeah. 
You know, it would have been like those seasons or the the episodes of Power Rangers where they get like the old team back in for the season. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have been pretty great. A legendary conglomeration, the greatest crossover event since um, Scooby Doo meets the Harlem Globetrotters. So, boom. But it didn't happen. And you know what? It's fine. It's okay. It's no big deal. Yeah. I mean, we got Gary. You can only expect so much. Yeah, we got Gary back. Um, but yeah, uh, I think I think the next episode is going to be even better. And then, uh, you know, the amazing climax at the end. And then we can stop being friends. So, yeah. <laughs> it's a we're win, almost, win, win, win. We're almost done with this thing. We are. Yeah. Uh, you know what, though? I think, what do you think the moral of the story is? I don't think we know yet. Uh, but, uh... Call the police if That's someone's what breaking is. into your house. Yeah, if your husband dies and you're old and you have kids, you should tell your kids before you tell your grandkids. It's a good idea. Yeah, it seems to be like the logical choice, but fucking Sheena Larkin's like, ah, uh, no, nope, grandson. Gary's clearly her favorite. Hey, you know what you didn't mention? What? So, this is Grandma Aggie. She's the one that made the Aggie, cookies Aggie. in the tale, of the tale of the Time Trap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she puts lead in her cookies. <laughs> Secret ingredient. Jeez. Yeah, she's history's greatest monster. <laughs> Sheena Larkin was the one that made those cookies the whole time. They were some bomb-ass cookies from the looks of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about all I got. I don't, if you're rich, uh, be as creepy as possible, I think. Be a jerk. I think that comes naturally. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> like a package deal. I think that's all I got for morals, but do you want to try and give like a... So normally we, we give a better name for the tales, but like, want to just try and give like this episode like a sub name? You know, like the Tale of the Silver Sight Part 1, Electric Boogaloo. Well, I don't know where the story's going altogether, but I definitely yeah. know the vibe I'm getting from this, the setup. Okay. So I'm going to say a better name is The Tale of the Fighting Hellfish. That's a good one. Yeah. Do you remember that episode of The Simpsons? I think I do, actually. Yeah. It's just like this. <laughs> and it, it and it's the, the rich old guy who's the one who betrays them all. It's probably going to be this rich old guy that betrays everybody. <laughs> like, that's what they... I feel like they're trying to push it out too hard though so maybe it's not i I hope it's a red herring and like yeah i want grandpa to be (laughs) the worst but if it's somebody (laughs) else too that would be a cool twist so who do you think broke into grandma and grandpa's house do you think it's the general like he can walk well he's the only one only other character we've seen so far like he's the only one that at that moment that we know of knew that the records were like being tracked down though right yeah Definitely. And he, I mean, unless something happens in Megan and, and uh, Andy and Vanges and Quinn's stories where the people they meet are like, records? <laughs> you know? Yeah, we just, we don't know right now, but based on the information we have, like, it's that guy, obviously. It's gotta be. Plus, he wasn't even at his house because he was, you know, busy running from the police. Yeah, he's Gary like, give called. me a few hours to break into your grandma's house and then come <laughs> right back. <laughs> Um, as far as tail names for me, I'd say it's going to be my, my opinion, the tale of the silver sight part one, Gary's back, baby. <laughs> That's all I got. That's a good one. He is back, but not for long. No, oh, he's got probably give him another two episodes is what I'm going to give him. Then he's back to, you know, 
college or whatever. Yeah. I feel like this episode's not going to be very long. We were Usually we record for like at least another half an hour, but like this is pretty yeah. straight. By the time you by the time you edit this down, it's going to be like 45 minutes. I know. It's not a problem. That's fine. That's fine. I I feel like this this is giving me it vibes in the terms of like you know in it when like um the losers are all separated and Bev goes to her old house and uh fucking Ben goes to the library or whatever and stuff like that and and the monster like attacks them individually that's the kind of vibe I get and I think that's how it's gonna be in the next well I mean it was like that in this episode so I think yeah. the next episode is just gonna amplify it yeah I can see that I know what you mean. What do you think we're going to be watching next week, Brandon? <laughs> huh. I think this is going to be a Quinn story. You think it's going to be Quinn night? I I don't I think so, yeah. I think they have enough time for like one or two. Maybe we'll get like Quinn and Andy and Vange or Quinn and Megan. Well, there's only three episodes, so they got to Yeah. <laughs> they got to get the stuff out of here. And the third one's going to be wrapping stuff up. Yeah, I'm Okay, so the second one they're probably going to find like most if not the rest of the record pieces and then the third episode is going to be them like figuring out what they do with them and where to go and then they'll find the silver site and destroy it i mean right it's probably what it's gonna yeah. be okay you know what i'm here for it brandon i'm excited this is the end of season seven we are getting there it's a fucking movie everybody loves it and it's gary's bad it's gonna be great. i don't know it's exciting times it is but uh, I don't know. I think that's all I have for now. I know this is probably going to be, like I said, a shorter episode. But well, like, I mean, we're discussing one third of a movie here. Yeah. There's only yeah. so much we can say. I, I wish that we could do all three at once, but I just I can't. Um, I just can't do that to myself. Like, I can't imagine doing an hour and a half of notes. It takes me forever. That would take me like six hours to do. And I just I'm not down for that. I can't do it. So. We're going to end it here. We're going to pick up next week with The Tale of the Silver Sight Part 2. All right. I'll talk to you talk to you next week, Brandon. Bye everybody. I'll be here. Bye. It only gets worse from here.